Hello, Matthew. It's good to be talking to you today. Uh, my name is David Ray. I'm the uh, president and CEO of Dundee Precious Metals. Um, as an organization, we've had historically a reputation for strong production and delivery um, at uh, a low all-in sustaining cost. I'm happy to say as an organization, we've been adding to that some significant pipeline build uh, with uh, success in exploration. As an organization, we've been generating robust free cash flow and generated record both for the last quarter and also for uh, the year to date. Um, and uh, we've returned $34 million in terms of dividends and buybacks uh, to shareholders uh, this year. In terms of our capabilities, we build on a set of activities which give us, we believe, leadership in innovation. We are effective at securing social license and building on leading industry-leading solutions, which together with our innovation and our optimization of our process gives us the potential with our organic growth portfolio for growth. David, good to have you back. We saw you last September. It's a long time, but quite a lot has happened since then. Why don't we... Um and I do want to go through it all because I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of this kind of portfolio management and kind of, you know, replacing the, the resources and reserve uh, numbers for both, both gold and copper. Um, but first, second quarter numbers, if you don't mind, um, if, if you can run through those and maybe in the context of what Q1 looked like as well. Of course, yes. So, so these numbers show the first half and Q2, so we can um, build from that the Q1 and Q2 numbers. So starting with metals production, uh, basically uh, trending towards guidance through both quarters with 145,000 ounces uh, produced year to date with 76,000 ounces produced in Q1 and uh, 8 million pounds of, um, of copper in Q1, 15 to date in, uh, in Q2, uh, sorry, in, in H1. If you look at the all-in sustaining costs, um, I think on, on this we've been ex very effective at managing the inflationary pressures that we've seen, uh, particularly within the Euro European environment around energy. And to that end, in Q2, we had figures of $733 per ounce all-in sustaining costs, and for the first half of the year, $802. So at this point, at the lower end of our guidance, although we would anticipate the, uh, the Q3 being a little higher than this, as a consequence of our smelter shutdown and a few other activities where our costs will come up slightly at shallow pitch. But overall, very well within guidance for our all-in sustained costs. We come out of the quarter with $542 million of cash, an undrawn credit facility, and effectively no debt. So it gives us a, com a combination of $692 uh, US, million US dollars to draw on uh, in terms of our activities, both for our organic growth portfolio and uh, other activities. In terms of free cash flow, I mentioned that we had a record quarter at $71 million and $135 million for the first half of the year. I mentioned the return of capital, that's 36% uh, to the end, of the end of the first half of the year in terms of return to shareholders. It's really interesting. You're sitting on that amount of cash. Do you think you're getting a fair um, valuation on the assets themselves? Because obviously, you know, Bulgaria and Serbia, got Aritape, Celepece, uh, and you've got the Timok and uh, Choka Rikita there are... Th those, those are that is the kind of the, the, the main focus, and because we'll, we'll talk about Ecuador in a second and what that what that means in terms of the portfolio. But do you think you're getting a fair reflection of the value of those assets at, at the moment? I think the answer is at this point that we still see ourselves as uh, good value in terms of investment with the potential for improvement. And I think we've, as after we started demonstrating some of the success we were getting in regional exploration. So when I'm talking about region, I'm also talking about uh, Serbia now and our broader sort of. Um, uh, Balkans assets. 
I think people have started to recognize that, you know, we are, have been a consistent producer. You know, we have been able to operate in the, the lower quartile of the cost curve, but now we're starting to generate some additional life and with exciting assets. So I think what's happened is that since we extended out of Tebe in January of this year, and then subsequently three different updates on what's happening at Choco Rikita, we've seen an appreciation in our share price. I would say at this point, we're still good value. Um, as we continue to build on that, as we now have Tierras Coloradas in Ecuador, of course, is a, a new asset and we're sort of doubling down in terms of what we're doing at Chaka Rikita. So, right. Okay. Because um, if I look, so we, when we spoke last September, what, five, $5.60, you're $5.60 Canadian, um, setting around sort of at $8.70 um, t- today. So obviously, it's, and it has been higher. Um, so you kind of, you, People are appreciating what you're doing quarter quarter over quarter. So maybe if you don't mind, can you tell us exactly what has happened there um, in, in Bulgaria specifically? Because I'm, I'm intrigued by these sorts of jurisdictions that people, don't, certainly in North America, don't perhaps understand or know too well. They probably think in terms of it's kind of European, albeit Eastern European, and therefore it's, it's hard to do business there. But you're making the margins you're hitting the numbers that you're, you're you're going for. So what's it actually like on the ground and what have you been doing? So a couple of different things, if I can sort of start in order to uh, to answer that. So if we start on the left-hand side of, of this uh, chart and the right-hand side is Choco Rikita, so I'll come back to that in a moment. So what have we been doing in uh, in Bulgaria? If you look at the update that we had in January to Adetepe, which has been an exceptional producer for us and generating about half of the value in the company for this year in total. Uh, we've seen a 22% increase in the recovered gold ounces for the remainder of the life of mine. But more importantly, we've had a 13% increase in gold grade and a 1% in recovery and only a 7% increase in tonnage. So the bottom line of that is that this asset produced at $530 per ounce, all in sustaining cost in the second quarter. So it's a very high margin asset and we've just increased the grade of the outlook. And you can see how that translates in the trend bottom here showing 134,000 ounces this year down to eventually the closure of the mine in 2027. So that's been good news and people, you know, recognizing that's, you know, an extra under $250 million of revenue that's going to be happening in this four-year window. If we talk about um, other things that we've had in the area, Chalapetch added a year to its, uh, to its mine life in March and continues to have a very active exploration program and a track record of continuing to do that. Let's talk sort of politically and what's happening sort of economically around the challenges since the conflict in Ukraine. So politically, you know, some stability. We just had a formation of a government, uh, but the government's been acting in concert in terms of making decisions which really help industry and, uh, you know, residential consumers as well as industrial consumers. Uh, Principally, that has been around these sort of inflationary pressures that we've seen since the Ukraine conflict. And if you start with one that was the obvious trigger, we went from 50 euros per megawatt hour to 500 euros per megawatt hour. So huge impact on everything from steel ball generation, reagent production. You know, it was obviously big impact locally. So we've managed to mitigate that effectively. But more importantly, coming back to the government, they were very forward thinking in terms of some of the decisions. And they were owning the coal mines and the value coming from the generation of power from coal sources, which are about 40% of the total supply. Bulgaria is a net exporter of power, and those two things gave the government the ability to subsidize costs so that they didn't go above originally 150 euros per megawatt hour, and for this year, 100 euros per megawatt hour. So that's really helped bring down the inflationary cost pressures that we've seen in Bulgaria. 
So we've perhaps seen 25 to 30% increase in things like steel balls, reagents, you know, these types of materials. And just recently now we've seen that start to unwind. So as you saw from our cost profile, we've managed to mitigate those by looking for efficiencies in all of those things and alternative supplies. We've excluded any Russian sourcing, of course, and any sanctioned sourcing. And now we're at a point where the price is coming down. We've just contracted now for the next year. Numbers, let's say between 10 and 15% reductions in things like reagents, steel balls, these main consumables that go into you know, the generation of our, our costs. So all in, in terms of Bulgarian people, maybe not knowing too much about it. If you just look at our track record of delivery, that speaks to the continuity of the government and the behavior and the support. And while people might find that it's, you know, they have this difficulty, this barrier to, you know, why should I be in Bulgaria? I think the track record has been that it's been a good place uh, for us to be. So all around in terms of things like the ability for us to get things done. So continuing with our exploration, continuing to extend our assets, get things done in an environment where we contain our costs and generate uh, profits and return those uh, profits to the organization. It's a company that I'm very, it's a country that I'm very happy that we've been in. And actually in December this year, we'll have been there for 20 years. It's 20 years ago since we bought Chalapech, our first assets in Bulgaria. Right. Okay. And so just, just think before we kind of, um, kind of get into maybe um, Serbia a little bit more, um, on the expiration side, you mentioned expiration there because that's got to be a big part of kind of the growth story. Last time I, we talked, I talked about what's the growth story. You need a growth story. You need to drive that share price. You've, you've been doing it. And I think that's come from some of the announcements about extension of um, life of mine. Uh, it's good. You've, you've seen, we've seen some headlines around, you know, very big interserves, extremely high, high grades through the expiration program. I mean, how much store, how much money are you allocating to the expiration? Okay, element? sure. So let me just um, show a very high level um, view of Choka Rakita in terms of uh, what we're going to be doing. We just extended the drilling. We had 40 kilometers of drilling plans for this year at roughly $150 a meter US all in costs. Um, we've added 30,000 meters to that because we've now got to the point where we've gone from 60 meter spacing and we're moving to 30 meter spacing. And our intent is to get here to a resource that we can disclose at a 43-101 standard by the end of the year. So it's it's been really exciting at uh, Choka Rakita. It's the type of thing that we do really well in the proximity where we have all of our skills. This is only five hours drive away. Uh, from Chalapech, the sort of core of our underground mining expertise and all the technical services that support our global organization. In addition to that, if I was to point it out on the on the here, what you'll also see, so this is Choka Rikita, and basically looking further south, if you go down here by five kilometers, we've got Umka. And um, Umka has got a similar signature to Choka Rakita. So we have nine drills currently drilling on Choka Rakita at the moment. We have two, which have just got going at Umka. And the intent here is to is to be able to get off the hill as quickly as possible and start looking at, you know, some of these other immediate vicinity targets um, around Choka Rakita. So we just increased our drilling uh, budget for this year by 30,000 meters. That's roughly four and a half million dollars, let's say. We've got 10,000 meters going into Umka just to the south of that. And then the other thing that we've done regionally is we've received the permits for us to look at this particular license here, which is Krumovica license, which is immediately around the concession for Atatepec. And we're planning to do an extra 15,000 meters of drilling 
in the second half of this year, actually commencing this week in uh, in Bulgaria. So we're pretty excited to get a number of different permits, a number of different opportunities in both Serbia and in Bulgaria, which are really helping us to both extend at Chalapec, the existing life of mine, support potential extension for Aditepe, as well as bringing in this new opportunity. It's quite interesting, actually. They, they, I didn't realize how close the, um, the all four assets were to each other. I, I see the, the team is, well, not the drill team, but obviously the rest of the team, they're sort of bouncing between the um, projects quite easily. And um, so what, what are they finding? Are they able to, are, are, are they, because so are they based in country or, or your team based in Canada? Uh, so our technical services are based out of Sofia. So right. we, have, okay. we Great. have resources at the assets who do the, you know, the, the planning and the scheduling and the execution and the survey and all of this type of thing. And then you have um, some people who are more corporate focused on what they look at is the reserves and resource development and, you know, any new opportunities that we might have and really help to focus and prioritize the work that we do in these assets. Now, with exploration, we have um, a team in Serbia that's been in place for quite a number of years that we took over in I think, 2016, um, having been previously Avala. And at that time, we were focusing on an asset called Timok, which had the potential to produce 80,000 ounces per year over eight years with a heat leach um, asset. And it was while we were looking at refocusing our exploration activity, this was in 2020, that our group there said, hey, we've always wanted to go and drill this particular asset, which had been always on the list, Choka Rakita, but it was not a surface sediment hosted deposit. This was something that was a scar that was 250 to 450 meters below ground. So it hadn't been a priority historically, um, but the good news was that we managed to pick up those ideas and and uh, test those out. And that's become the exciting activity that we've got there today. So back to your point about proximity, we have a local team, there's 120 people in Serbia at the moment that are actually working on this asset. Now, what I should mention is we actually run our own laboratory there as well. So, you know, that, that really helps in terms of, you know, rapid turnaround and this type of thing. So they're five hours away by road, as you can as you can see on here from our facilities in Bulgaria, and if I just let's just zoom in a little bit more, than maybe uh, what you've got here is you have three hours between um, this is Chalapec in the middle, and then lower right at Atepe, and it's five hours by road to Choka Rakita, and Choka Rakita is three kilometers away from Timok. So these things are really in a proximity where we can take a lot of advantage of what we refer to as our European shared services. So all of the sort of bigger picture, typically corporate activities on reserves, resources, reporting, support projects, they're actually available from Sofia. And then we have things like finance, permitting, legal, all of these are available from that shared service. What it means is we can be much more effective at the sites, focusing on the key things they have to deliver and those overall oversight things. While typically bureaucracy can make things slow, in this case, it's really helped to make Adetepe successful, and we're looking to do the same with Chogarikita. I mean, when we've invested with projects of our own in like Poland, uh, Poland, Albania, Serbia, places like that, we found like being, being in countries help with the kind of um, permitting, licensing, and other kind of you know government interf interfacing. If you're in country, I mean, is that, has that been a, a benefit to you? I mean, how, how does how does your team sort of operate with all that kind of government interaction? 
absolutely. So our, you know, our relationship with the government. So in this particular case, Ilya Garkov, who's our um, VP, SVP looking after Europe, is right in the midst of all of these activities. But the the basically the leading faces are both Serbian. So one more focused on exploration and one more sort of how we administer uh, the overall activities plus project activities. So having a local person and uh, has helped in a number of ways. We've got highly competent, very capable technical people. And we've got people who, of course, can represent the company effectively, which is exactly what we're looking for with the government to make sure that this is not some Canadian thing. This is clear in terms of how we create value, how we work with the communities. So the level of intent comes across very different when you have somebody from the area. It's, yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I think it's essential, but not not everyone does it. Um, they like to work remotely. Um, and, and talk to me about, um, you mentioned some of those things in terms of obviously it being a very um, intense time with inflation and costs and, and, and so forth. In terms of uh, skilled labor, that seems to be the thing that people are pointing saying, saying, saying these, this will take a long time to come down. You know, we're seeing age, reagents, chemicals, et cetera, coming down, you know, fuel coming down. The, the people cost has been a real big red flag for most companies when they've been looking at, you know, how do they manage their margins um, over the next 12 months? What, what's it like again with the people in country component and, and, the, and what that, represents as a, as a percentage of your of your cost base in countries? So people in country in terms of costs in Bulgaria are relatively low. So we're looking at something that's say 20%. Uh, that is uh, something where uh, there's a combination of both costs and so- social license involved with our employment. So we don't drive for absolute, you know, last element efficiencies because we realize that employment and actually generating a way of life uh, you know in our in our in the areas where we work is really is really important and that's the whole sort of partnering with our with our communities that's a, a key value of ours in terms of access to uh, technical labor we've been very fortunate to have exceptional people in proximity to our assets so they're very good in Serbia, as i already mentioned but i mentioned Ilya garkov our svp uh, for europe he actually was born within a couple of kilometers of uh, chalapec and if you have a look at the people below him, general manager, same thing. So, you know, we've got exceptional local skills. Now, hanging on to those, that's something that uh, we've done very well. But I, I think as, you know, the eight, we've got this sort of aging group. It's going to become a little bit more difficult to get the people you might want. And we're going to have to be very effective at making sure we use those resources effectively. But I think your question was more pointed to how do these sort of increases that we've seen to offset inflation impacted what's going to happen from here on? And we, we're definitely concerned about that. But what we've seen is we've seen a more rapid response in terms of a reduction in pricing, which would indicate that as things like energy comes off, you see a pretty quick response because obviously things like steel ball, reagent, other you know uh, logistics, these things come down very quickly. In terms of the labor costs and offsetting the increase that have already occurred, that's going to take longer for sure. So there's going to be some lag in terms of coming back to a number where we started. And I would see the major part of that being labor labor associated. Right, okay, interesting, interesting times uh, on that. Um, you mentioned uh, 34 million in terms of dividend and share buyback. Actually, what's the split there between those two? So what you can see here is that if you go back to 2000, we first initiated the dividend then we doubled it at the end of that first year. And what you can see is that we got to a point where we're at a roughly $30 million per year uh, dividend payment. So we're $15 million for this year so far, first half. So therefore, we're at 
what we would consider to be that sustainable dividend level. We're asked, are we going to increase that? Are we going to change that? Are we going to do special dividends? And, and typically what we're saying at the moment is we'd be very happy with the level of that dividend. But what we have been doing is that if we've seen that there is uh, a generation of, uh, of cash beyond what we're anticipating, we do consider doing something with an NCIB. And to that end, we increase the NCIB as of the 1st of March through to the end of February 2024 to have the ability to return up to 100 million US dollars. And if you look at the numbers since the 1st of March, you'll see we're on trend uh, for that type of return. So at the moment, um, you know, that's $34 million in the first half, $14 million. Uh, sorry, that's uh, that's uh, 2022. But, you know, it's the, the bulk of that return uh, has been in Q2 because of the additional uh, uh, NCIP window that we can return. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, honestly, do, do you have any kind of preference? Do you think they both are, work equally well? As uh, so just a case of you know, let, let let's see what way the wind's pointing and what's what's the best allocation of that um, return of that capital. So I think the main combination is here that we're it's sort of disciplined and it's meant to be broad based. So obviously we're reinvesting in exploration. So, you know, if you have a look at the exploration, we've increased the outlook for the year. We were at 25 to $30 million. We've increased that to $38 million to $46 million. And that's because of those additional elements that I mentioned, at Choco Rikita, at Tierras, Coloradas, and also at, uh, at Atepe. Uh, we also obviously invest in our facilities in terms of um, sustaining capital. And we, we look to encourage opportunities for us to continue to drive our margins by looking for efficiency-focused projects. And then, of course, uh, we've got uh, some opportunity for m and which, which comes out of um, that uh, that potential allocation. So, And then we've got the return to shareholders. So for now, we've decided to put more priority into the return to shareholders and exploration as a two sort of near-term. Right, and, and, and it gets, like, I appreciate that. I don't think it's necessarily any kind of right answer to that. It's, it's just, you know, what the company's strategy and preferences are. Um, with regards to something we, we have has, um, littered this conversation, which is around um, the mix between sort of M&A and jurisdictional risk. You talk, you mentioned Ukraine, uh, we've seen in the, the papers this week, um, Niger, coups, um, Mali, um, Sierra Leone, and that whole kind of Sahel region. Last two years have been all about, you know, the socialist governments in Peru, Chile, you name it, across South, South America. With the M&A component, jurisdictional risk, I think, right now, in a world which is a little bit uncertain, it seems more prevalent than ever. So when you talk about M&A, are you going to kind of stick to your knitting and sit in East Europe, Eastern Europe, or are you going to? Are you because everything seems quite cheap at the moment because everyone's a lot of cash constrained assets and companies out there. Again, how, how do you how do you view the the M and A world as far as your company is concerned? It's interesting, yeah, because what we do is we start by saying what's the quality of the asset, and then after the quality of the asset, we then look to see you know where the other opportunities or strengths that we bring. We, you know, ideally look for concentration, which is the type of thing we talked about with Choco Rikita. That is such a fit with what we already do. Um, and not least because it allows us to have much more confidence in terms of the build and the commissioning and getting it up to production, which is exactly what happened with Adetebe. But also in terms of, you know, um, mitigating these risks. So you mentioned that, you know, not a lot of people are sure about how, to, how do I think about Bulgaria? We've had a great track record there, but it's still a question. 
So is there something with our M&A that would allow us to reduce that perceived political risk? Certainly that can play as well. So I would say that we start with what's the quality of the asset. Ideally, it's in proximity to the core of our assets, which is clearly on a European timeframe. Uh, we have something which we're pretty excited about in Ecuador, so with Loma Log, but also now with Tierra's Colorado's. So our path forward is around how does it fit within our goals? So it needs to be within our strengths. It needs to be an asset at a scale. Ideally, it needs to be something that we we can take to if it's not already, not already at first quartile costs. So we're looking at providing confidence in our ability to deliver on our strengths, that it's an asset that works uh, for all of our stakeholders. And I, not least within that is the communities, our ability to actually do something where we perceive to have not just value during the course of you know, exploration, building, operation of the asset. It's an interesting one, actually, because if you look at Ecuador, okay, Ecuador in terms of your portfolio is, you know, it, it, it's, it's at the, there's the, it's got a little bit further to go, okay? You, you have the Ecuadorian government, it sort of moves slowly, but and I appreciate both uh, La Malarca and Terras uh, Coloradas um, are, are slightly different stages, but nevertheless, you, they, they need kind of, it's a little bit of waiting required, a little bit of patience required there. Whereas you've kind of same sort of advanced pr- the projects in Bulgaria and Serbia in terms of delivering against the re- resource numbers and the reserve numbers. So therefore, M&A outside of e- any of those jurisdictions, if it was if it was to kind of de-risk the perceived jurisdictional risk component as far as investors, whether it be institutional guys or, or otherwise. Um, do you think there's a premium to be paid for a safer jurisdiction in in today in in, in the backdrop in the context of where we are today in, in in the market? Are you prepared to pay that, or again is is patience required and finding the right um, the right profile and the right kind of return on 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 that capital invested more important to you? Yeah, I, I think return on capital employed is is really important for us, and ideally having something that is NAPA shared. Accretive, but this, this is actually a really interesting point because, you know, we we've got assets that we build and they operate for ten years. So at a ten day, seven years, you know, Loma Larga, uh, absent finding anything else, which we're confident there's more there. But that ten years, you know, so wouldn't it be great to break out of that? And then how do you actually cost effectively on whatever you get above that to ten years? How do you bring that into an MPV compensation? I think the question comes in both, you know, in terms of longevity. You know where it is in terms of the cost curve, which makes you much more robust, and also uh, politically, you know how confident are you and your shareholders in that you're going to be able to realize value from these jurisdictions? And what that might do is it might drive you to the point where that equation about the margin that you're looking to realize on an after share basis, maybe you know you need to accept there could be some dilution in the early days, it, particularly if you're confident that uh, there is upside opportunity that's not realized by the market at the time you take it over. Certainly, as a you know, right out of the gate, we want to be not for sure. There are reasons why you might look to make that you know marginally dilute. Okay, but which is an easy conversation to have when you've got so much cash um, in the bank because you've got the option of obviously with the the share buybacks that that helps immediately, but it's not necessarily a, an aggressive kind of growth component in terms of finding more answers. So the expiration for you, do you see that as your well? Maintaining current operations and, and, and doing those efficiently is one thing, but the, the, coming back to the expiration question, which is how important is that in terms of the board's priority and to deliver 
this, you know, um, this this nerve pressure um, that, that you're that you're chasing. So exploration uh, priority. I think the potential for that just got magnified in everybody's perception by what happened after we put our first numbers with Chokorakita in January, and the response was dramatic. So we're very fortunate to have been successful in building a much more interesting exploration uh, opportunity set than we had before. So if you look at this. On the left, you can see our operating assets. You could see 200,000 ounces per year for Loma Larga, with the idea being that I'm not sure of the timing of that. At this point, we'd anticipate 2026, but as you said, there's quite a number of different things that are going on there, and it's possible that that may push back or come forward. So since we put this chart out initially, we identified Choco Rikita, and Choco Rikita looks like it has the potential to be a 2028 in-production asset, which is just good fortune in that we have a lot of information on that area because we were already looking to build a team up project. So we already have a relationship with the community. We already have a relationship with the government and we have exceptional capability to deliver things in a much clearer route in terms of permitting and whatever. So this is exciting. We've got a, an asset like Loma Lago, which is a great asset, but actually if that drifts a little bit in time, that now is not so material because of Choco Rakita. And the potential of Tierra's Colorado's, you know, increasing that sort of ultimate realization of what value is. In the meantime, our base of cash flow and uh, and costs and margin is generated by what's happening with Chalapach in particular in mine extension. So, you know, in terms of the board's view and the overall direction of the company and exploration, I think there was always an interest in having quality exploration opportunities, but that really got changed dramatically when we saw what happened with Choka Rikita and how this change that we had during 2020 in our targets and priorities is really starting to pay off. And we basically tripled the exploration budget. And I'm happy to say that we've done that, but our, our find rate is basically higher than we had before. So we're not seeing at the moment any efficiency loss because we're dealing with really great people in our exploration department that have come to the fore with this sort of refocus of the attention and how, how do you um when you look at the balance between the kind of the, the, the gold and ounces produced and the the copper pounds produced and you again looking out to the market we i know what you've got with your current assets but maybe this is a little bit in the context of expiration a little bit in the context of uh, m a which is is there is there do you prefer one over the other do you think the market prefers one over the other because if i look at gold equities at the moment Producers are getting the benefit of producing cash and they're getting some credit for that, which is why I started off with saying, well, are your assets getting credit? Because we know, you know cash should be valued at, that's easy, but it feels like the assets are not getting valued fairly or representatively in the, in the market. But all gold equities are struggling now. Copper, I don't want to say in vogue, but you can see a massive supply deficit coming for that base metal. Are you, are you, again, what does the board think about that, getting that balancing gold and, and copper looking forward? Yeah, so we're not frightened off by other metals. So we've historically, you know, produced zinc and we've produced lead in addition to silver and gold. So the idea of producing those as part of our portfolio is not something that we would immediately avoid. Uh, copper clearly, you know, is something that we're happy to be part of our portfolio. I would think that if the numbers started to get where revenue was less than 65% gold, that will be a concern, but that's far away from any immediate likelihood based on the portfolio that we, we have in front of us. So I would say that we're, we're happy to see, um, you know, more metals come into that mix, particularly if it's, uh, if it's copper. 
uh, if you're looking for a sort of number, anything less than 65% goal revenue, I think, would be a red flag for us. Right. Okay. Okay. So you're still still confident and in love with um, in, in gold. Gold price is certainly doing a lot of heavy lifting for uh, producers. Um, yeah, and you, I know you're not going to make a call on gold price going forward, so I won't even ask you um, on that one. Look, David, I appreciate, appreciate um, the kind of um, update on where you guys are at. Obviously, a lot has happened and a lot to happen uh, on the expiration. So best of luck with that. But stay in touch. Let us know how you get on with that, okay? Will do. Thank you. Bye-bye.